Hi, and welcome to Thriving with Sarah and Jenny. Please join us as we explore how you can enjoy a happier life and a fulfilling career, things that aren't always that easy in our modern world. We'll be taking a look to how you can explore well-being both inside and outside the workplace, how to prevent burnout, how to achieve true happiness in work and life, and so much more. So stick around. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Thriving with Sarah and Jenny. Sarah, can you believe it's almost Christmas? Are oh you ready? Goodness. Um, well, I could probably be more ready, is how I would put it. <laughs> <laughs> I have started thinking about Christmas, so I feel like I'm on the way there. <laughs> oh, you're making a great start. That's fantastic. How about you, Jenny? Oh, um, I have to say that I get caught out every single year. I always think we need an extra four weeks warning that Christmas is upon <laughs> us because I always get caught short and it's embarrassing because I think, how can I do it again? <laughs> I see all the Christmas lights going up and my friends have got their trees up in their houses and uh, nothing's quite happened in our house yet. But it will be very soon. Very we'll soon. get there. We'll get there. You know what? You don't have the you don't have the small people in your home anymore that are no, like that mean you no. have to do that. Our tree is up, so we're we're one step ahead. Yeah, my small people used to hanker for the advent calendar because with the advent yeah. calendar, it was such fun to hang the little. Um, it was had those pockets <laughs> with things that you could hang up on the tree itself, and yes, good fun. And the best ones, of course, were the ones which contained chocolates. Because oh, of course, especially. <laughs> so we we don't have a reason to buy them anymore, and I think maybe we should just treat ourselves. But anyway, anyway. oh, definitely. Yeah, I think we should. Definitely. Can you believe it, Jenny? We've done twenty two episodes this year. <gasps> um, so we're gonna do. I know we're gonna do a little recap of uh, episodes eleven to twenty. So the last half of the year with our kind of favorite highlights of what we've gone through, our top tips, a little review for you. So it's the end of the year and hopefully you can just take all those little tidbits of advice that we've tried to, you know, find and 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 curate for you and give you them all in a great big Christmas present episode. Yes, <laughs> tied up with a big red ribbon for you. So we wanted to say a huge thank you to all of you dear listeners for tuning in each week to listen to our podcast and hope you're going to do the same next year. And meanwhile, to wish each and every one of you a really fabulous Christmas and a very happy new year. Merry Christmas and happy holidays. And we really hope you get the time with your loved ones in any way that's possible for you. Absolutely. See you next year. Today, we're in a fantastic mode. I've just got back from holidays. So we're going to talk about why holidays are so important. The big thing is that we forget that taking a break is more than just having the holiday per se. It's actually an essential component to health and well-being um, mm. because it's it's been shown by all the studies that we live longer if we take regular holidays. Um, wow. because we reduce our overall risk of dying from anything 
if we take our holidays. I mean, who would have thought that? Um, but it's also because, like you mentioned before, we have lower stress, lower cortisol levels. So mentally, it's really good for us as well because uh, so many people are so stressed from the work environment. We need to move away from that just to reconnect to, to a slower pace, to a different environment. And I think while staycations have had to be taken over the last Twelve months or longer, um, and that and they have their place. Don't get me wrong. And I was advocating strongly for that during COVID because many people weren't stopping work at all because they said, "Well, if I'm if I've got anywhere to go, I might as well keep working." And I was saying, "No, just take a staycation. It's okay." Um, but otherwise, you know, if you can actually change your environment to see something different, try something new, meet different people it's actually really good for not just reducing our stress, but it opens us up to connecting with the world at large and um, really getting a sense of community and society and you know all the different cultural differences, which I think is really important to broaden our perspective because otherwise we, I think we get very narrow-minded if, if that's the right way to sort of frame it. Mm. Oh, that makes so much sense. And actually, there must be a thing as well, especially as we get older, because we, we prefer the neural pathways that are well trodden, don't we? Oh, yes. And so yes. going on holiday, it's, you know, it, it helps us build those new kind of neural pathways, um, yes. doing something new, learning something new, which actually, if we're in a career that, you know, this is what we're doing, and it's our work, we're not really doing any of that. So it's, it's pushing ourselves out of our comfort zone, really, mm -hmm. by even going yeah. on holiday. Isn't it? So, so breaking that routine and breaking that pattern is actually really important. Yeah. 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 Gives us that mental stretch that we need. Today, we are going to explore something that I really love. We are going to get Jenny's doctor hat on <laughs> and talk all about our happy hormones and endorphins. Looking forward to it, Sarah. Um, there's nothing better than talking about how to create more happiness in our lives. And I think it's really important that, you know, when we talk about happiness, it's really about generating more positive emotion for ourselves because we do have a negative bias. And with the stress of everything going on in our lives and in work, sometimes we get sucked down into that negativity. So finding ways to naturally support our mood so we're in a better space um, is, is really important. And it's actually really simple. It doesn't cost you anything to take your daily dose. So I, I'd love to talk about actually there's that's just one piece of this this happiness puzzle and there's yeah. such a wide range of the others and and when we think about all of these uh for me dopamine is like it's like the gateway drug to our yeah. or it should be we should think <laughs> about it in a positive way um because all those other uh the hormones and the endorphins those are things that you know create connections um they give us our um our productivity, our increase in creativity, innovation, they really kind of fire up all these wonderful areas of our human brain. Mm. Um, so Jenny, what's your prescription? <laughs> well, my prescription is that we need to take our daily dose every single day. <laughs> so don't miss a day. 
Um, and to remember that dopamine is, is primarily a reward hormone. It's part of our brain's reward circuitry. So every time you do something that your brain considers rewarding in some way, so it could be that you found a really great restaurant which serves a food that you absolutely adore, or it could be that you've seen somebody that you look think is rather interesting and you'd like to get to know them a lot better. Um, it's the, the motivation. It gives us the energy we need to take the steps to actually meet the reward uh, of achieving our goal, essentially. So um, it's about the anticipation of something wonderful that might happen. And yeah. without that, it would be, you know, life would be a bit bleh wouldn't it? Even though they tried to get us not to love them, we're going to talk about dogs and happiness. Some of the stuff I found when I was when I was doing the research for this and and um, was just crazy. So there's um it's called HABRI, the Human Animal Bond Research Initiative, I think, which is based out of the US. Yeah. Um, and they found that pet ownership was responsible for saving eleven point seven billion dollars each ah. year Whoa. in kind of reduced physician visits, yeah. uh, you know, increased exercise lower obesity so it's it's a crazy amount that it actually helps not just ourselves or our like our little inner circle but our wider communities um, and structures uh, that go along with it I just found that not shocking but amazing (laughs) it is amazing and when you when you sort of realize how big those figures are I mean that's huge isn't it yes yeah yeah. And I think there's stuff in terms of, you know, when we talk, we, we've we talked about kind of depression and all sorts of things. Yeah. Well, with you have a dog or a cat, you have a lower um, instance of depression. Yes. You have, you know, people who are retired benefit from owning pets because mm-hmm. one of the things that happens with brain health, isn't it, is that um, they lose structure. So having a pet in the home helps that. And it fends off our, you know, the real kind of the horrible loneliness. Yeah. You know, the yeah. thing that really causes us ill health and and, yeah. and, a, and a bad life experience. Um, so they, they just do so much else. The one thing, the other thing that I loved, which I can really relate to, I don't know if any of our listeners can, is, um, you know, people who walk their dogs. There was a, this study that, you know, people were losing weight, which is pretty normal because you walk your dogs, you're getting more moderate exercise. Yeah. But in one study, participants um, had or no, they were able to be more consistent in their exercise because they considered it a responsibility to the dog rather than they were doing exercise. Absolutely. You know, they used the phrase, they need us to walk them, right? So we're not responsible for ourselves, which is that kind of that difficulty in getting exercise, but we'll do it for someone else. <laughs> so true. And of course, it takes that stress away from oh, I haven't got to the gym to do my routines or whatever. But as soon as you're thinking about, oh, the dog needs her walk today, um, yes. better go off and do it, your your focus is outwards and it's about the dog's well-being rather than your own, even though you both benefit. So exactly. it, it, all that stress and angst about, oh, I need to be exercising more. If you've got a pet uh, that needs exercise, not so much if you've got a goldfish, you will be more physically active. And of course, if you're more physically active, then you enjoy the other benefits of um, feeling better, lower blood pressure, 
um, lower stress levels, less anxiety, less depression, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we could go on talking about that. It's crazy, <laughs> isn't it? There's like reduced cholesterol, decreased yeah. triglycerides. I mean, it's absolutely, it. it's again, if you own a pet, it's not surprising because you know how much you love them and how much better you feel with them. But mm. I, you know, it's one of the things I love when we get into the nitty gritty of the science behind these things that yeah. what we feel is backed up through this evidence-based science. It's good to have you with us because we are talking today about a very important topic, something that's actually very dear to my heart, and I suspect it's very close to Sarah's heart too. We're talking about autonomy and why it's so important to us in our lives and in the workplace. I think it's really fueled something because now there's a lot of talk about what do we don't want in the future of work and yeah. I think autonomy is now recognized as being a fantastic business strategy and a competitive advantage because rather than trying to constrain everybody to work a certain way it's not about giving free reign just go forth and do whatever you like it's like like you say with with Henry's quote about the freedom within guidelines it's saying okay well this is what is expected of you by a certain time in a certain yeah. way but how you get there is up to you that to me yeah. is what autonomy is all about and I think it's terribly important and I think we sometimes underestimate just how important it is oh I couldn't I couldn't agree more I think you know when you as soon as you start to tell people how to do a job, and this is in your personal life. I mean, who who loves it when their significant other or their parents tells them to do something, then tells them how they have to do it? <laughs> what do you want to do then? Fine, do it yourself. <laughs> I start. You're listening. no longer engaged. I'm not listening. You don't want to do the thing. Yes. And so for me, again, you know, we're the same people at home that we are at work. And so that transplants, as soon as we take away people's ability to choose how they're doing things, they check out. Yep. And that, you know, there's a couple of things that come up for me around that. The first one, it's so important what you said about, yes, it is autonomy is not a free for all. You know, there are some anarchists among us who sometimes like <laughs> and I look, I look at you, Jenny, uh, in your description, and I can lean towards the anarchist side, you know, where, no, I want complete freedom. Um, but most people prefer freedom within guidelines. It makes you feel safe. You know where the boundaries are um, and you know what is expected of you. And when you have that, and I like to call it, a, maybe fence is the wrong one, the wrong word, but it's a it's a guiding and you have to have all four sides to it this is something i've learned as a manager if you only give people one or three sides if you don't completely enclose those guidelines there's still no psychological safety people don't quite know and if it's budget or deliverable times or outcomes or feelings or expectations um that's your job in that leadership management uh, decision-making piece to be very clear and then let them be. You're there to offer support and assistance. Uh, you're there to help them. But if you let them go, that's when creativity gets unleashed. 
We are here today to talk a little bit about the importance of relationships and relationships at work. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about, obviously, with your GP background is, so there's been a couple of studies done in the last kind of 10 years about positive social interactions at work, so relationships at work, directly affecting our body's physiological processes. Yes. Um, Yes. And and again, this, this wonderful paper that I love says, when employees experience positive relationships, the body's ability to build, maintain, and repair itself is improved in the workplace and outside. So can you can you bring your wonderful GP mind to this? Because that was like, that blew my mind. Mm. Um, so well, think- what's going on there? What's going on? It's it's really um, the impact is on our physiology is that it sort of elevates our the strength of our immune system, so we're able to sort of resist um, onslaught by infection and stuff like that. But it also helps to reduce the level of inflammation that we may be experiencing in our body, and that is also an enormous um, safeguard, if you like, to to our well being. But yeah. mentally, it's it's that it, it provides us for that s- sense of safety. And when you, as soon as you feel safe, you're feeling less stressed. You're more open. Um, you're more relaxed, and you can just get on with things more easily. And it's that sense of belonging that you know Brene Brown talks about all the time. That's that's so important. But physiologically, it's it's not just intimate or the closest relationships that count. It's all of our relationships that matter. So we know too from the research that it's the number of uh, incidental meetings with other people across our day, whether they're people that we know vaguely at work or people that we cross in the street or people we see down in the supermarket or wherever. It's those, those small interactions which have an enormous positive effect on our mental well-being so that we are better placed psychologically to handle adversity or challenge or when we stuff up and all those other things so I think it's wonderful that we can sort of manage ourselves simply through um, our interactions with others especially the positive interactions um, and to recognize that we can alleviate so much of the stress or the anxiety or feeling a bit low simply by getting out and interacting with another fellow human being. And if you <laughs> haven't got a fellow human being, a dog will do. <laughs> <laughs> because we have relationships with our pets, as we know, yeah, talked about before. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's about sort of making sure that we're not on our own Uh, and feeling lonely as a consequence. So relationships matter enormously. What's possible? Tapping into our imagination and curiosity and creativity to come up with new ideas, new perspectives, to to reach out and think, ah, what if this could be different? How can people give themselves some space what what do they need to create this environment where they can start thinking in that way? Well, that's that's a bit of a loaded question too, because it's very much going to depend <laughs> on the existing environment where you're operating and you might uh, take first up. But I think we can yeah. all give ourselves permission to schedule some thinking time 
whether it's 10, 15 minutes, you know, every day or a couple of times a week, just to you know, press pause, think about what I'm doing, where we're going, is it on track, what else could I be doing? And then to ask that big question, what's possible? And what if my big idea could not fail? Stay curious yes. and explore. I think that's probably the best way to start. Oh, I love that. I love that, that curiosity um, and imagination. Yeah, and I think my tip would be um, to give yourself some time, you know, just exactly what you said, Jenny, you know, pause, um, do that stuff. But I would say, you know, allow yourself to daydream, you know, just if you can, you know, and it's a little bit between kind of the mindfulness where you're not thinking of anything and where you're asking yourself a question. If you can kind of just create a bit of that pause to just let it, let the thoughts go, you know, let those thoughts flow through and see if something can bubble through or percolate. Um, And maybe it's, you know, maybe then coming back from that, it's then thinking about, okay, there's no boundaries on my question or my problem or my challenge. Um, What could I do? And then writing down as many ideas as possible, allowing yourself to have that space in your own kind of mini, mini moment and seeing where you can go. Um, If you're able to, in your work life, schedule that in for yourself or for your teams. I think that's so powerful. Today, we are going to start a discussion on psychological safety because we think this might need a few sessions or we might need to come back to it. Psychological safety is an outcome of creating a working environment where people are connected and supported because like you, one, I've experienced real toxic situations where someone calls you out or dresses you down um, or full-on embarrasses you in front of your work colleagues, which again, someone like me, that makes me want to hide under the chair and cry and uh, never come back again. And, and I've, but I I guess the reason I think it's an outcome of a good working culture or a good working environment, or as we talk about a happy working environment is because I have seen people use psychological safety label to say really horrible things or to be really negative or to be really destructive. And then the answer becomes, well, why are you taking it personally? I just want to make stuff better. And so then you're no, so for me, there's, there's, yes, you can make mistakes and you are you don't have a fear of this, but I think there's also some groundwork we need to be putting into that. So it's a bit of a longer, I guess, talk about psychological safety, but I think because it's such a buzzword right now, if people mm. are going, we're going to create a psychologically safe workplace, and that's where people can make mistakes and um, say things that they want. You can speak your mind or or whatever. Uh, we just need to be a little careful about putting psychological safety in the place where positivity turned into toxic positivity or where um, honesty turned into brutal honesty, you know? <laughs> 
absolutely. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Brutal honesty is 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 damaging. Yeah. It's horrible. Um, so yeah, I think it's really important that if if any organisation or business is thinking seriously about well, perhaps we need to look at this psychological safety thing, what it is and what it means and the benefits it will produce or bring to the company, then then you're starting on a safer platform whereby you can avoid some of that. uh, Well, yeah, I'm going to allow you to say what you like within limits, um, but that doesn't mean I'm going to listen to you um, or cherish your idea I might take it for myself and all that sort of stuff so I think I think it's 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 something that needs to be treated very carefully and with and to put very clear boundaries in place as to what it is and what it isn't so that everybody understands exactly what to expect and how it works because um when when I've worked with different companies who are saying, Jenny, we desperately need you to come in and talk to us about psychological safety because we need it now. I'm thinking, uh-oh, they're looking for a quick fix. <laughs> I can't just write out the prescription. Here's your psychological safety outline. Please take one three times a day for the next week and it'll all be fine. Oh, Jenny, I love that. I think the prescription for psychological safety. <laughs> we know it doesn't work like that. We know that it's it takes time. It takes energy, it takes perseverance because we all stuff up because we're human and sometimes you might have the best of intentions. <laughs> we don't always follow through on them. So no. it's it's about gradual behavioural change and it has to be led. It has to be led from the top. If you don't get the buy-in from the top people, yeah, it's not going to happen. Today, we are going to tackle or maybe just dip our toe into the great conversation around burnout. Who do you think is at risk? And how do you spot it before you fall off that cliff edge? <laughs> Primarily those in on the front line, those yeah. in the caring professions, uh, whether yeah. it's a doctor, a nurse, a teacher, a carer, um, everybody like that is potentially at higher risk, often because you're called to do that work and you're of service and you're always trying to do the right thing for everybody else and you put yourself last. So I think that particular type of person is at risk. The perfectionist, the the highly driven, motivated, I'm going to climb the career ladder because I want to get to the very top um, is also at significant risk. Um, And I think the third group are those who are in the... I'm trying to think of the right word to describe the type of environment you would call it. Unsupportive, um, toxic, Toxic. uh, (laughs) expectation environment, yes, where where it's this terrible term. You employ people because you don't expect them to stay very long. You've got this churn and burn policy, which is dreadful. Oh, my gosh. And And it still happens even today. Uh, Whereas basically you're just fodder. They just want to drain you and they don't care if you only last six months because they know there's other people coming up behind who will take your place. So those people are particularly at risk as well. Mm. Yeah. Fantastic. Those are, that's it. Yeah. And then, and if you're in one of those environments, it's probably time for a little check, right? Today, we are talking about you in that uh, we're looking at ways that Helping out, um, giving back, 
in some way can actually really raise your mental well-being and your overall happiness. That idea of digging in, getting your hands dirty in a sense, you know, even to the point of helping litter pick or plant trees, or there's something really fulfilling about kind of leaving downing tools on your day job and going and doing something for someone else, which I know we're going to talk about, but also that I have made the place or the world um, better and I am contributing to something bigger and better than myself. Mm. So it was really a nice knock on because I'm actually going to go have a look and see how I can do a little bit more in my community uh, again, because it makes us, the other thing is it's got that, that, um, feels selfish but isn't tinged to it where when we do things for other people when instead of doing things for ourselves we feel great Mm. Mm. we feel great Mm. you know we don't always have to do it on our own either and I think there's certainly room for more workplaces to come together with an idea to say what can we do as an organisation, to make something good happen. And there have been various examples in the States where certain companies, um, there was a shoe company that um, basically handed out free shoes to people in the in the car parking lot uh, on a particular day. So people that didn't choose. Yeah. You remember that? Uh, yes, I, I just thought, yeah. well, that's just amazing. And, and you could tell that everybody involved in that felt fabulous about it I mean the people handing out the shoes and the people who were receiving them everybody it was a win 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 all the way around thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of thriving with Sarah and Jenny we hope you've enjoyed listening to it as much as we did recording it and you can always get involved in the well-being conversation at all of our social links in the show notes until next time stay safe stay happy and thrive in whatever you do.